a trip. And if you're a pastor, Easter is like this looming thing in the, like, it's like the Super Bowl for pastors, where it's just like all this pressure, and it's Easter, and did we buy lilies, and, and all this kind of stuff, and did we do this, we did, did we do that, and pastors get to go, what are you preaching on? Like, I don't know, the resurrection? I mean, it's like, it's kind of a, kind of a thing. And, and, and here's the thing that always gets me at some point during Easter. Yeah, it really happened. He really rose from the dead. And, and as a pastor especially, or if you're in church leadership or whatever, we can totally lose the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. It really happened. It's really an historical event. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go through one of the accounts that... Um, talks about how this happened. And it was written by a guy named John who was a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. And we're, we're going to kind of try to identify with some of the characters in this story because I think in a group our size, as we look at the different people and how they reacted to the, the, the resurrection and how they kind of handled themselves and all that, I would bet that it would, it would appeal to some of us. Some of the ways they responded would be the way we would respond. And so we're going to read that story and go through that, and then we're going to go into a guy, uh, a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church in Corinth that addresses this whole idea of a resurrection. That just seems so hard to believe that someone would die and three days later would rise from the dead. But yeah, it really happened. So if you want to follow along, um, we're in John chapter 20. And we're gonna, I'm going to tell part of the story, and then we're going to show some key verses. So if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You won't miss anything. Uh, but John was written, like I said, by one of the disciples. And there were four accounts of the resurrection. Matthew wrote one, uh, a guy named Luke, who was a physician, who starts out his book saying, I just want to find out what really happened. And so Luke does this careful study, and he interviews people. And so that's Luke's account. Uh, Mark wrote one. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector and he was in ministry with Jesus for three years. He wrote his. And then John wrote the fourth one. And, and John's cool because if you're a dude, you can identify with John. He's just, he's just a normal guy. And we'll see some of the things that he wrote where you go, man, I would totally write it that way. But if, if you become a new follower of Jesus or you're kind of just researching the Bible for the very first time, a lot of times a pastor or someone will say, read the book of John because it's so easy to understand. And, and, and it, John kind of writes like you or I would write it uh, if, if we were writing it. So what happened was Jesus died on the cross, died, done. He breathed his last, the Bible says. Um, one of the accounts says he gave up his spirit. In, in other words, just as you would see if you've ever been around anyone dead, you look, they're dead. You can tell. Spirit's gone, they're done. Jesus died. And a guy named Joseph bought a tomb for him and put him in the tomb. If Joseph had not done that, Jesus was crucified as a criminal. They would have just taken his body and put it in a garbage dump and the family was, would have to fend for it there. But they would take all these criminals down once they were crucified and they'd throw them in this garbage heap and, they would, and that garbage heap would just continue to burn. So Joseph comes and he buys this grave and Jesus goes in that grave. And early in the morning on Sunday, what we would celebrate is Sunday, 
Mary shows up and it's still dark. And she gets to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. And she freaks out. She starts crying. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where he is. She's totally acting as though you or I would if we went, you know, well, we won't get into it, but imagine, you know, you know where someone's buried and you show up and, okay, this is creepy, you know, like the dirt's been taken off and all this kind of stuff. She responds the way you or I would respond. And she runs and she goes and tells the disciples. So, so two of them come running to the grave to see what's going on. Now, Mary has been with Jesus for three years, Mary loved Jesus. Mary had everything to do with Jesus' ministry and missed the fact that he said over and over again, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead. So she goes and she tells the disciples and they come running. This is where we find John. Now again, John is writing this account just like you or I would write the account. John in the book of John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved which is a little presumptuous, okay? But hey, I'd do it if I were writing a gospel. I, if it's going to be around for 2,000 years, I'd be like, hey, might as well get the story straight, right? And so that's how he'd refer to himself. So he starts off the story going, when the disciples heard this, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved started running towards the tomb. And that's where we catch the story in John chapter 20, starting in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> Is that cool? Don't you respect John now more? I do. If I mean, if, look, if you and I race and I win, I won, okay? I could, you know, if you have a brother, you're like, oh, by the way, who won that race to the tomb? I don't know. Was it me? Yeah, I'm reading it right here. So that's what John does. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Right, because it's a tomb. It's just like you or I. I'm not going into a tomb. Those are creepy. Now watch what happens. So then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And if you know Peter, as you read the Gospels, and this is why we really encourage you to read your Bible and read all the Gospels, you get to know a lot of these characters and kind of get some insight into who you are, and that's exactly like Peter. Get out of the way. Let me see what's going on. So he busts right into the tomb, wants to see it for himself. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And now John has to own up to the fact that he was scared and sitting outside the tomb. Well, Peter just goes right in. So he says, finally, the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first. <laughs> I might have been scared to go in first, but I, I, that's because I was out of breath. Because did I mention I won? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just thought you'd like that. See, here's the thing. I, I do this jokingly. But we have to understand these are real people. This isn't a fake thing. There's lots of things in the Gospels I would never wrote if I were making it up. Lots of sayings of Jesus I'd never write. Hey, gouge out your eye? Cut off your hand? If it causes you to stumble? I mean, come on. By the way, I'm looking out here and none of you have ever sinned. That's incredible. Uh, or else your eyes would be gouged out. and you're, No. Right? He's got these hard teachings. They write them anyway. And so, so, yeah, I'm joking that John's kind of writing these things, but I want us to understand these are real people. This is a real historical event. And so he reached the tomb 
First, but you know, was well documented. John, thank you. And went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture what Jesus, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so here they are. They're both in this empty tomb, kind of just going, what? And so they just leave and go back to where they were staying. And they leave Mary there, who's just as distraught as she was when she got there when it was dark. And she's crying, and she looks into the tomb, and there are two angels there, and they're dressed in white. Now, again, if I saw two angels dressed in white, I'd freak out a little bit. And Mary's just crying, and they say, why are you crying? And she goes back to that same thing. They took my Lord, and I don't know where he is. All of a sudden, behind her, Jesus shows up. Wow, what a trip. But I want you to get in the mind frame of Mary because some of you might be there right now. Life for you right now is so hectic, so worrisome, so troublesome. You're, you're trying to figure out school or you're trying to figure out work or you're trying to figure out your marriage or you're trying to figure out your finances or your kids are driving you crazy or whatever it is. Like how am I gonna get through that you might miss Jesus talking to you, Jesus seeing you. So Jesus comes behind Mary. Mary turns around and she thinks it's the gardener. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Thinking he was the gardener, he said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him because gardeners just go in and steal bodies all the time. <laughs> For thousands of years, gardeners just dig stuff up and take bodies and carry them around and lay them down. And I think, what is, What? But here's the thing, it's so easy to mock her. It's so easy. But, but what, haven't you been in a spot in your life where just you, your mind has become unreasonable because you're so troubled? Something that you, that, that's hitting your soul. This is where Mary's at. And I'll bet in a group this size, some of you are here right now in that very same spot. You're like, you know what? Jesus could come and talk to me face to face right now. I wouldn't even know who he is. I got all this stuff going on. So Jesus does what Jesus does. And he says to her, Mary. And she freaks out again. Only this time, she recognizes his voice. You know what? That may be some of you this morning. But the reason you're here is you've come to a place in your life where you've gone, you know what? I think I gotta hear something from God. I gotta hear, hear his voice. Or maybe you've heard his voice. Maybe you've been sensing, you know, at, at work or in your family or whatever, that what's going on isn't working. And you felt like God has said, hey, why don't you try something different? And so she clings on to Jesus. And Jesus says something really weird. He says, hey, stop. I haven't ascended yet to heaven. And some scholars go through all this rigmarole of what he meant and that he wasn't quite in his super glorified body and all this kind of stuff. Here, here's all Jesus was saying. Don't get used to physically grabbing me. Don't get used to the relationship where you have to see me, where I can die and be raised from the dead or I can do these miracles. I'm going to ascend to be with my heavenly father and there's gonna be a new relationship 
something totally different than we've ever had. Just don't cling on to me. Don't get used to this. It's going to change radically for you. That's all he's saying. So Mary goes back. She goes uh, and um, she went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. Check this out. Now, John, we've already met John, and we've already realized that John is kind of like, you know, he, he said, he, well, how many times did he say he beat Peter to the tomb? Twice, you know. He, he talk, calls himself earlier the disciple that Jesus loved and all this kind of stuff. So John leaves this particular fact out. So I went and I stole Luke's account to make John look bad, okay? So watch. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. Now listen, listen, because this might be some of you in here. Here's what Luke says. Meanwhile, in Luke 24, 11, but these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe him. That might be some of you right now. Your, your spouse has been bugging you to go to church. They've had a life change of some sort. And you're like, what? Religion? Ah, Christians? Uh, Pat Robertson? Ah, I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is. And for you, it's just like, man, I don't, I don't know that I can believe this. L let me tell you something. God understands that. God understands that. And so they say it, it, it appears like nonsense. And again, these were the guys who were with Jesus all that time who ended up, you know, probably when they were writing the Gospels, because they wrote them decades afterwards, which some people like to say, well, that shows that they weren't, you know, like you have to write them the day after in your journal for them to be accurate. We all have things that happened to us decades before that we can accurately depict. So when they were writing it, I'll bet they were writing, oh, that's right, he did say that. I should have known when I went to the empty tomb, right? And so they, they don't believe him. So a little while later, Jesus shows up where they are. They're all in this room, and Jesus just shows up, which would be so cool to do. He does like a I dream a genie, just bang, and there he is. And, and uh, he's like, peace be with you. And they freak out, and they're scared. But they begin rejoicing and going, he did it. Yeah, it really happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And so they go, and they, they, they're, the only person not there is Thomas. And Thomas says, well, I'll show you what he says. Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. And maybe that's some of you here this morning. And, and for whatever reason, we call Thomas doubting Thomas, but isn't Thomas just real Thomas? Isn't Thomas just what you'd be? Here somebody dies, somebody sees him three days later, and you're like, okay, we all have beards and long hair. Maybe it was someone that just looked like Jesus. <laughs> like, why do I want to get my hopes up? Or you might be in that, re that situation right now in a relationship. Someone's told you, listen, God can restore your marriage. And you're like, no way. I, I don't want to get my hopes up only to have them dash on the rocks. I want to see it first. I want to understand it. I watch the Discovery Channel. I like to see it and believe it and be told and proven and all that kind of stuff. God gets that. But if you think about it, 
Is that how we really are in all of our situations in life? Do we really have to see it to believe it? Do we really have to touch it and feel it? No, there's lots of things we just know in our spirit that it's like, you know what, I know it's weird, but this is just this is what I believe. And so Thomas is there and he says, unless I, which is, again, I, I don't think I'd touch the, his hands and his side. I'd probably just have to see it. It's like, no, here, like, like go up to someone, here, touch my scar. No, I'm not going to touch your scar, but that's just me. But a week later, Jesus shows up to Thomas, and here's what Jesus says. He doesn't say, Thomas, you're the one I've never liked. Why did you think that way? Why did you believe that way? I'm so sick of this. Three years, I got to rise from the dead. You still don't believe? I told you three times. Listen, is that what Jesus says? Watch what Jesus says. He said, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Then he says this, stop doubting and believe. I'll bet there are some people in this room right now, this is exactly where God has you. You've been hemming and hawing and, uh, I don't know, and then I knew, that I went to this one church, and they were all hypocrites. Yeah, we're all hypocrites. I, I, it's just humans are hypocrites. You can't get around that. Maybe you've been like, well, I just, I don't know about the Bible, and I, I saw the History Channel, and then they got this one, they got the book of Peter, and what is it, the one, Philip, or whatever. I, I, I get all that. But God for you right now is going, just stop doubting and take that step of faith. It really happened. The guys who wrote these accounts didn't do it because they're getting royalties off of every Bible that's written. They didn't like think to themselves at one point and just go, you know what, Peter, if we get Jesus bobbleheads, we can make a fortune. I mean, <laughs> let's start our own religion. You know what I mean? Most of them died for this. We read accounts in Acts where they were beaten, whipped, flogged, you know, and they were put in prison. Well, at one point, Peter and John go, how am I supposed to stop talking about what I've seen and what I've heard? Like, you're trying to tell me to say I didn't see it. I saw it. I'm ruined. Church tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Christ. This isn't made up. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul writes in Corinthians about 500 people seeing Jesus after he had risen from the dead, and he goes, essentially, he says, go back to Jerusalem, take a bus back there and check it out. A lot of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. He says, some have died, but yeah, it really happened. As a matter of fact, so Thomas feels the thing and he says, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus gives this thing to all of us here because we're this next verse. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed, but blessed are those who've not seen and have yet believed. Jesus understood for, for you, the sophisticated person, like we're all sophisticated, we all have a hard time with some of these things. He says, you know what, listen, if you can get over that, if you can just put that aside and take that step of faith and give your life over to Christ, you will be blessed. With a new job, no, no. 
with a new girlfriend? I may, no, no, okay, right? You will begin to operate in a certain power. We're gonna get to that in a little bit. But, but I get it. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna shift a little bit to this book called Corinthians that Paul wrote. Could Paul believed this with everything he had. He believed that Christ died and rose from the dead. But he was in a church that was sophisticated like you and I. That kind of went, well, I get the understanding about the Bible and kind of living a good life and Christianity and it's kind of neat and, you know, we'll go there on Sundays. I get all that, but the resurrection was kind of one of their sticking points. And Paul understood that this is so fundamental to belief in Christ. This is so fundamental that he has to address it. And so he does. And he makes this incredible statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Read all of the Bible you want. When he says our preaching, he had already identified himself as one of the apostles. So he's talking about the 11 uh, that were left after Judas betrayed Jesus and himself. And he talks about him being an apostle. And he says, look, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, don't keep reading this. Don't keep going to church. Our preaching is useless. And then he takes it one step farther. And he says, and so is your faith. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no reason to be doing all this. We could spend our money better. We could spend our lives better. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. In other words, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're liars and we're lying about the things of God. Now, again, for us to understand the context of this, Paul is essentially saying in that particular period, kill us. If, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're false witnesses. We're essentially, if we we're saying it in the vernacular, more than that, we're liars about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. That was Paul saying, listen, guys, this is a fundamental key, a fundamental truth to what we believe. Yet, yeah, really happened. Jesus died for our sins and on the third day rose again to conquer sin and to conquer death. So he goes on. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. You go, well, what, what is that all about? Yeah, as we look over our past life, we all have these regrets. We all have these disconnects that we know, oh, doggone it. Maybe it was a spring break. Maybe it was a party you went to. Maybe it was a business trip you went on. Maybe it was a first marriage or a second marriage or whatever that you got involved in when you just went, man, I wish, essentially, I could have that part of my life back. For some of us, it was our 20s or a whole decade. For some of us right now, we're living in it now. And we go, man, I just, if I could just get over this thing. What Paul's saying is if Christ didn't rise from the dead, you're stuck with it. You're stuck with the regret. You're stuck with the shame. You're stuck with it all. You just 
own it and be going on. And then he goes on and he says, uh, and if Christ is not been right, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, and then also those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, when you went to all those funerals and they said, well, he's in a better place now. He's not. He just died. He became dirt. Nothing. Nothing happened. All the comfort you received from that, done, gone. No, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we just die. Because here's the thing. If it didn't happen, everything you know about heaven and God and all that was written by liars. The whole, you know, hey, he who had sinned cast the first stone. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. I don't know. We lied about the resurrection. We lie about all sorts of stuff that he said. It really happened. And so Paul says this, if for this life we hope in Christ, we're all people to be most pitied. The fact that you're struggling to try and stay in that marriage because you think that's what God would have you to do, oh man, you poor thing. Some of you worship God with your finances. You get a check and you take a percentage of that check and you give it to God. Oh, you should have bought a car. <laughs> you should have gotten cable. You should have... Like, man, some of you, you, you donate your time with the kids and all that kind of, ah, you should have taken up crocheting. It, it was, you're pitied, right? Then Paul says this. Guys, I just want you to get this. But Christ has indeed been raised. This is why we say he is risen, and you say he is risen indeed. Let's do it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It comes from Paul, the book of Corinthians. Now, you guys know me. I changed it up every year. And so I, because I, I just like this. And I, because we don't say indeed. So I say he's risen. And then I want you guys to say, dude, that's awesome. Because that's really what it is. Okay, so ready? So we're going to do it. We didn't do it first service. They were a little stuffy. Okay, so here. <laughs> I, could just, I was reading the crowd. I'm like, nah, they're going to be, I'm going to get an email or something. But you guys look super happy and all that. So we're going to do that. So I'm going to say he is risen, and you're going to say, dude, that's awesome. He is risen. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We should be a great game show, wouldn't it? You guys did it perfect. Now, listen, there's a reason for decades and decades and decades the church has said, and we should continue to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Because it, we have to get to that idea that he, in fact, has risen. And because of it, it has a gigantic impact on our faith and our relationship with God. It really happened. He really rose from the dead. And all the players involved in the story were real people just like you and I, reacting the same way you and I would really react. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when you go to that funeral and that person has a relationship with God and they say they're in a better place, they are in a better place. It's true. All the things you read about in the New Testament about what Jesus said and what he did and how that all works out, it's true. The, the time you spend really fighting for your marriage because you read in the Bible that, man, I, I, you know what, I'm just, I'm just gonna fight for my marriage good job. You got it. When you say, man, you know, I should forgive that person because Jesus told me if I forgive their sins, my sins would be forgiven. And yes, exactly, because he really did rise from the dead. I'm going to read one other little section of scripture that is so mind-blowing. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. 
verse 18. And this prayer that Paul is writing to this church of Ephesus is the prayer, I was here last night by myself and I was just praying over the sanctuary. And I was praying that God's spirit would just come and rest here with the people who are just coming for Easter. For whatever reason, maybe your spouse drug you here and you're like, you don't even know how to tie a tie and you're in a tie and you're all upset, all this kind of stuff. I, I was just praying, God, let them see through all that. And I, I would walk down the aisles and just touch each chair, not because I'm special or going to sell a handkerchief or whatever. It's the only thing I knew to do. I, I just, this was the prayer I, I was, that was on my heart in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, this idea that Christ died for our sins and we accept him as Lord of our life is not intuitive. We don't normally just drive down the road and go, you know, I need a savior. There's something that has to happen in our heart. And Paul prays this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For some of you right now, you are just like, I would love some power in my life to get over this stuff, to get over my past. It's available to you. It's not intuitive. There's some doubting involved and there's some kind of wrestling and man, you know what? I, I just don't know. That is totally, the Bible tells us it is gonna have to be a step of faith. It's just the way God designed it. I don't know why. I'm the guy who says, look, I just, let me just touch the scar or whatever or show up in a fireball or call me on my cell or something where I can just like have it, like, you know, tell me some hidden things about my life or whatever. And God says, No. Now watch this next verse. So, in his incomparably great power for us who believe, watch this. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. It really happened. And that power is really available to us. But just like the disciples... And just like Mary, just like everyone who's ever started this relationship with Jesus, it comes first with surrender. We first come and say, I can't go on anymore and do it myself. It's not Jesus, it's not my life and Jesus. It's Jesus is my life. I hand it over. The stuff that I did, the stuff that I was planning on doing, all that kind of stuff, I hand it over. Because that power that raised Christ from the dead is available. And then it kind of just goes on and it just gets you from Christ risen around all the disciples and all this to where he is now and he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 